Chapter 15 of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 15 Jimmy Has a Birthday. One sunshiny morning in January, the table in Pollyanna's dining room looked as if she had planned for a feast of reason instead of an ordinary breakfast. All around Jimmy's plate were piles of books, books bound in half Morocco and presenting such an attractive appearance that one felt illogically sure that there must be something very interesting inside. Jimmy was singing loudly as he dressed. In the kitchen Pollyanna bustled about with an air of desperate energy, doing something and then undoing it the next moment, her senses alert for Jimmy's next move. She was not thinking at all of breakfast, but of those imposing columns of books. Oh, she said to herself breathlessly, I hope he likes them. I hope he does. I hope he wouldn't rather have had something else. Oh, dear. She seized the saucepan containing the breakfast bacon and put it into the refrigerator, instead of on the stove where it belonged. It was fortunate that she did not empty it into the garbage can, for she did not have the least idea what she was doing. The bathroom door had slammed shut, and a buoyant whistle announced that Jimmy was coming for his breakfast. At the door of the dining-room he stopped short, the whistle also stopping. There was a moment's silence while Pollyanna stood tense, hardly venturing to breathe. Then came the explosion. "'Great Caesar's ghost! What does this mean, Pollyanna?' Pollyanna rushed to answer the summons. "'Oh, Jimmy!' she cried, hurling herself into his arms. "'Do you like them? Would you rather have had something else?' Jimmy's arms closed about her. "'Of course I like them. But what have you been doing? Robbing a bookstore?' Pollyanna disdained to answer the charge. "'I don't believe you even know what they are. It's a set of dickens. Jimmy, are you sure you wouldn't rather have some other author?' "'Cross my heart I wouldn't. If Dickens had never done anything but write of those two friendless boys, Oliver Twist and David Copperfield, he'd head the list with me.' You see, I appreciate the picture better than most people can. Pollyanna strangled a sob against his heart. Oh, Jimmy, I'm sorry to bring that back to you today of all days. Don't worry about that, sweetheart. I have to look back at the poor little devil that was myself to get the full flavor of my happiness now. Still holding her tightly, he steered the conversation to a less harrowing theme. Of all extravagant minxes, they must have cost pretty near your month's allowance. "'It's not one bit extravagant,' protested Pollyanna excitedly. "'I didn't have to pay for them all at once, you see. Two dollars down and two dollars a month for the rest of your life, I suppose. "'So you think things don't cost much if they're bought that way? "'Well, I hold to the opinion that you're an extravagant minx. "'Don't bother about any breakfast, Pollyanna. "'Instead of taking any fruit, I'll read how Oliver pitched into Noah Claypole, "'and instead of cereal I'll have David's visit.' "'Jimmy, stop talking nonsense. There's grapefruit for breakfast. Sit down, and I'll bring it in.' The meal was all that a birthday breakfast ought to be, an extremely gay and joyous occasion. Jimmy complained that the columns of books shut off his view of his wife, and so they were rearranged, making a sort of colonnade along which they could look at each other to their heart's content. A temporary excitement was occasioned by the mysterious disappearance of the saucepan containing the breakfast bacon. They both got up from the table to hunt for it, Pollyanna declaring that its weird vanishing was enough to make one believe in witches. 
when, after an exhaustive search, they found the saucepan in the refrigerator, Pollyanna was quite indignant to have Jimmy insinuate that she put it there herself. Only after a protracted argument did she admit that she had been so excited that she did not really know what she was doing. And so, with love and laughter, Jimmy's birthday began. Pollyanna meant to make that birthday a real red-letter day, for Jimmy's childhood was to her a distressing memory. In her mind was a vivid picture of Jimmy as she had seen him first, a forlorn little outcast sitting by the roadside, a freckled, rather dirty small boy, who even then showed the manly qualities which went to the making of the Jimmy she adored. He had wanted to work for his board and keep. She could see quite plainly the little arm held out that she might admire its muscular development, and her eyes brimmed over at the remembrance. Of course, Jimmy had been fortunate. Thanks to her intercession, he had found a home under John Pendleton's roof. He had been given the advantages of school and travel. He had won his guardian's affection. But there was one thing Jimmy had wanted that he had never had, and that was a home with a mother in it. Pollyanna felt that it was her business to make up for that early lack. She must be a wife and mother both. As far as she knew, Jimmy had never had a birthday party, and she had resolved to make this first birthday of their married life memorable by introducing him to this time-honoured festivity. Of course, it was to be a complete surprise. She had planned everything with the utmost care, so he should not have the least ground for suspicion. They had made so few friends in the great city that it was an easy matter to select the little company to be asked to grace the occasion. Russell and Judith were included as a matter of course. A classmate of Jimmy's had called with his wife several times, and they gladly accepted her invitation, and a young couple they had met at church made up as large a dinner party as Pollyanna's dining-room would accommodate, while it was necessary to borrow chairs from both bedrooms in order to seat everyone. Jimmy had hardly left the house before Pollyanna plunged into the work of preparation. Judith, who came over to help her, after a little, was astonished by her radiant air. "'I don't see how you can be so cheerful, Pollyanna, when you've got such a lot to do.' "'Cheerful?' Pollyanna repeated, and laughed joyously. "'Why, I don't have to be. I'm having the time of my life. I can't see any fun in slaving from morning till night. I dare say that wouldn't be fun, but I couldn't slave for Jimmy.' However hard I worked, it couldn't possibly be that. Judith watched her as she went from task to task, her steps light and her face aglow. And, as she watched, she realized more and more that drudgery is not dependent on the amount of work to be done, nor on the nature of the work done, but is altogether concerned with the spirit. Pollyanna might overwork, she might exhaust herself, struggling with burdens too great for her strength, but never under any circumstances could she become a drudge. Judith stood gallantly by the ship, in spite of Pollyanna's protest that she must not get so tired that she would not enjoy the evening. At one o'clock the two friends ate a hurried luncheon, and then Judith set the table for dinner, an accomplishment on which she justly prided herself. This completed, Pollyanna issued an edict of banishment till the hour of six-thirty. "'You've been a perfect angel and helped me wonderfully, but if you stay another minute you'll be terribly in the way.' Judith went home laughing, and surprised to find that though she had really done a hard day's work, she did not feel tired. "'I suppose it's more interesting when two work together,' she said to herself. "'Or, well, I suppose Pollyanna's way of looking at things does make a difference. 
and then through her mind floated a couplet she had learnt in her school days without realising its profound philosophy. Your merry heart goes all the day, your sad tires in a millilay. Jimmy got home three-quarters of an hour ahead of his usual time. At the sound of his key in the latch, Pollyanna came flying out to welcome him. She wore a long-sleeved apron which enveloped her from head to foot and concealed the fact that she was wearing her best gown. "'Jimmy!' Pollyanna gasped, and something in her manner suggested consternation rather than delight. "'How do you come to be so early?' "'Isn't a man allowed to celebrate his own birthday?' Jimmy demanded. "'Yes, of course, but—well, you'll have to stay right in the living-room, dear, and not notice if you smell anything particularly good. Dinner is—is is a surprise.' The windows of the living-room were up, for as the day happened to be especially mild, the janitor, like all janitors, had got up an enormous pressure of steam, and without relief from the outside the little apartment would have been suffocating. And, as Pollyanna talked, the dining-room door opened noiselessly behind her back, and then, yielding to the capricious breeze, closed again with a click. The second that it had stood ajar had been enough for Jimmy to see that the little round table had grown since morning and that their array of knives and forks and tumblers and various other utensils was very much more than could possibly be needed by a family of two. Jimmy, who had seemed on the point of saying something, closed his lips tightly, apparently afraid that if he were not very careful some unadvised remark would escape them. But when he spoke it was to say meekly, "'Have you any objection, ma'am, to my reading Dombey and Son?' Pollyanna smoothed his hair maternally. You must make yourself look nice before you do any reading. At a birthday dinner you must have everything clean and shine your shoes. For form's sake, Jimmy thought it best to protest. I'll submit to a clean collar, he said, but the shoes impress me as a supererogation. My feet will be under the table anyway. Pollyanna was firm. Even if I can't see them, I shall want to know they're shining. Jimmy went to do her bidding, pretending to grumble, and Pollyanna hurried back to the supervision of dinner. When the bell rang at twenty-five minutes past six, it was Jimmy who answered the summons. It had been arranged that Pollyanna's guests should meet at Judith's apartment and present themselves in a body, and Jimmy's astonishment as he encountered the half-dozen friends was really a histrionic triumph. Pollyanna, rushing out to greet them all, was delighted by her husband's air of bewilderment. He nearly spoiled everything by coming home early, she told them, as she slipped her arm through Jimmy's and gave it a playful shake. I was perfectly horrified when I heard him come in. I had to tell him I had a surprise for dinner and that he mustn't open the dining-room door. Even if he had, he probably wouldn't have noticed anything, laughed Mrs. Bacon, a pretty little blonde and the wife of Jimmy's classmate. Men are so unobserving. I can make Bob's Christmas present right under his nose and he never suspects a thing. "'Listen to that, Bacon!' Jimmy exclaimed. "'Sounds to me as if they were reflecting on our intelligence. "'Are you going to stand for that?' "'My theory is,' young Bacon replied serenely, "'that the only way to be comfortable is not to see too much. "'If that be stupidity, make the most of it, as Patrick Henry would say.' Pollyanna was not one of the young housewives whose newly acquired skill is likely to collapse under the strain of an especial occasion. She had learned her lessons too well to forget them in an emergency. Her dinner was delicious, everybody was hungry, and around that little table there was enough fun and laughter to supply the average hotel banquet 
with scores of tables and hundreds of guests, and then have a surplus left over. Though they drank Jimmy's health only in grape-juice, their wits were not of the sort that are prosy without alcoholic stimulation. It was nearly midnight when the party broke up, and then they went reluctantly. "'Haven't had such a good time since I came to New York to live,' little Mrs. Bacon declared, and the others echoed her. But Pollyanna was especially interested to hear what Jimmy had to say. Hospitable as she was, she could hardly wait to get rid of them all. Almost as the door closed upon them, she turned on Jimmy. "'Well, how did you like your birthday party?' "'Loved it. Wasn't it the first you ever had?' "'The very first. And if it's the last, it makes up for all the hard things that have ever happened to me.' "'Jimmy!' Pollyanna protested, the tears starting unexpectedly to her eyes. "'What makes you say such a thing? How could it be the last?' "'You may not think I deserve birthday parties, after you get better acquainted with me.' Pollyanna laughed with recovered cheerfulness at the absurdity of that suggestion, and said that she had made up her mind he was to have a party every birthday in his life, for ever and ever. "'But of course the others can't be surprise parties,' she said, "'because now I've told you.' Then it occurred to her to wonder if she had put the remainder of the whipped cream on the ice, and she hurried off to see. As she left the room, Jimmy drew from his pocket two green cardboard slips, covered with fine printing. He looked at them, and sighed heavily. "'Orchestra seats, fifth row,' said Jimmy to himself, "'and the show we've wanted to see so long, and thought we couldn't afford it. Surprises are jolly, but it's tough when they're twins.' End of chapter 15 Recording by Claire